Welcome everybody to another episode of AI Pioneers Insurance Edition. Today we have a super special guest and arguably an insurance celebrity, Bradley Flowers from Porto Insurance and the Insurance Guys podcast. Bradley, thank you so much for taking the time, man. I appreciate it. Always happy to uh, hop on a podcast and chat. Amazing. Well, man, I know the listeners are here to t hear your perspective on AI as a business leader and all that. But before we even get into that discussion, I want the listeners to hear a bit about your story, because one of the things that I find interesting is you're taking a very modern approach to the insurance industry. You have a podcast, you have a YouTube channel, you have a Twitter where you're putting out some real content as the, the glories and the not so glorious parts of being an insurance agent. I'm curious, what was it that ultimately inspired you not just to get into insurance, but ultimately inspired you to take this unique approach to it? Yeah, so uh, I appreciate you having me and appreciate the question. I got into insurance because I was a big golfer growing up. And all of the people I knew that played the most golf were insurance agents, which is a bad uh, a bad stigma and uh, and and very stereotypical. That's why the quotes um, take so long. I know. Yeah, that's what everybody thinks. Yeah, and I, and I actually never play golf anymore except on VR at night. Um, but I was like, hey, you know, I had a buddy that was recruiting me to go to work for a life insurance company. Never really told this story before, and uh, I was like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. I'll do that. And so I liked, you know, being a, my dad was a is a contractor. He's owned his own company for 30 years, but very, you know, blue collar type work. And I always was intrigued in, in not doing that. And I was like, you know, that, you know, good, you know, white collar job, suit and tie. That sounds good. So I started my first day. The guy who was training me should not have been training me. And the first day we, uh, our very first appointment. So the company had a promo at the time where if, one of their agents could get someone who was licensed to apply to work there. They would get 500 bucks. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Hey, we're going to go talk to this guy that I know that's got a license about coming to work here. He has no intention of coming to work here. I'm just going to split the $500 with him. So that was my very first appointment. And then we got done there and we went back to his house and watched reservoir dogs. And then that afternoon we sold an insurance policy. So that was my first day in insurance. It did. It, I was like, I don't know that this is, I don't know that uh, watching reservoir dogs and watch you smoke weed on your couch is not exactly what I signed up for. But um, I got in that way. I really liked it. I like that. I liked initially. And now the thing that sort of keeps me going, I like the white space that there is in the industry, you know, that the insurance industry is, is behind arguably almost every other industry in the world in terms of technology and innovation and people being open to change. And I think one of the reasons for that is because the money's really, really good in insurance. And which is why a lot of those guys play golf and those gals play golf. And, uh, and so for me, that, that gives me a little room where, you know, I don't have to be Silicon Valley, uh, you know, tech forward, innovative. I can just be a little bit innovative and, get a big advantage. And like my friends who aren't in insurance have always asked me like, why are you still in insurance? Why are you doing that? You're doing all these other things. Why are you, because there's such a huge opportunity. And, um, so that, that's what I liked. And then, you know, fast forward in 2019, we opened portal, we started the podcast 2017. The podcast sort of led to me opening portal because through the podcast, I learned, you know, all these cool ways people were using technology and, 
and, and getting rid of red tape, getting past red tape, all that kind of stuff. And so I was like, man, I'm going to try to do this on my own with all this knowledge, connections, all that sort of stuff. And so we started Portal and, and that, that, that white space thing is really what's kind of kept me going, just being a little bit better than everybody else. And the way I sum Portal up is we're a traditional retail insurance agency that uses a lot of technology to enhance the customer experience and make our people more efficient. That's, that's us in a nutshell. That's amazing. And I saw on your website, you guys do both commercial and personal. Did you always go both routes or did you start off on one and then kind of uh, draw yourself to uh, draw to the other side? Yeah. So, so prior to portal, I worked for a captive company for six and a half years, probably stayed there three and a half years too long. And I basically only did personal lines and some small commercial, but mostly personal lines. So we started portal and the plan and we followed the plan actually almost exactly. The plan was to all to do personal lines for a year, only personal lines. And then I was going to step out of the business and learn commercial. And then we were going to pivot and add commercial to that. We're not one of these agents, a lot of agencies that do, you know, middle market commercial and larger main street commercial. They, they sort of poo poo on personal lines. We'll always do personal lines. We're really good at it. If you're efficient, the money's really good. And so we do, we do a blend of both. Um, that was, that was always the plan and, and we, we stuck to it. So yeah, we're, we're a mix of both, you know, higher end, high net worth personal lines and even some non high net worth personal lines. We don't do any non-standard or anything like that. And then on the commercial side, we have a few, a few niches that have nice size premium attached to them. That's amazing. I feel like starting off, like people typically try to go after a massive market. And I feel like they kill themselves off just trying to spread themselves too thin. What I like about your approach is going after those high net worths. It's a very specific niche. And people might see them be like, oh man, going so niche probably is limiting yourself. But it's actually the best way to expand because you start off on the niche like high net worth individuals, all of a sudden, Oftentimes, those people have businesses. Now, when you open up the commercial book, uh, the commercial business, you now have a network or a Rolodex of people you can call and say, hey, I know we're bundling your stuff on the personal side. Do you have anything on the commercial? And you've already developed that that confidence, that trust, which makes it an easy an easy sell. Yeah. And, and for us, too, you know, we were also even though we were personal lines, we weren't generalist personal lines. So the market that we are in which is still our predominant market where we operate today. Although we are in 20 states, we, we mainly only write in Alabama, Mississippi, and Georgia, Tennessee too. But the agencies here locally on the independent side fell in one of two buckets. It was either the non-standard, what we call bucket shops that are cash payers that are going to lapse in two months and they take their policy fees and that sort of thing. Don't want to do that. And then on the other side, you had some older larger family agencies and the hubs of the world that really weren't interested in personal lines at all. And, and, you know, they're, you know, $5,000 revenue account minimums, things like that. And so what this did is it left a big gap open in the market for all this really good personal lines in the middle that went, went to all the captive agencies. There's way more captive agencies where I'm located at than independent. And so our, our thing from the beginning and still to this day, quite a bit is like, Hey, we're going to go after the business that the captives want because mm -hmm. we have a distinct advantage there. And these are good customers mm -hmm. just because they don't own a business or don't have, you know, a Rolls Royce in the garage or that sort of thing, or three houses and one in Hawaii doesn't mean they're not a good customer. So that was sort of our niche in the beginning. 
And outside of that, we or to tail into that, we specifically focused on lender referrals and new home purchases, something where a transaction was happening because part of our sales psychology, you know, so many, so many agents look at, you know, we're excited and we sell a policy and we tend to look at insurance. The buying process is this like big crescendo moment and everybody's excited, but that's not the case for the customer. Like insurance is not the thing. It's the thing that gets you to the thing. You know, the reason they're buying insurance is because they want to do something else. You know, if they're commercial and they want to buy a worker's comp policy, 99% of the time it's so they can get a specific job or work with a specific, specific contractor. If it's a personal lead, you know, they're trying to buy a house. They're maybe trying to refinance. They're trying to do something. And we are the gateway to that. And so sort of the way that we built our sales process was around being empathetic to the customer and understanding, Hey, I'm not what they're here for. I just got to get them to the, this next thing. So we aligned our, our goals with their goals, which really benefited us a lot and still does. Yeah, I, I love the psychology part of it. And the psychology, like we even think about it ourselves as we're developing a lot of the products that we have. One of the things that we always talk about is, and one of the things that inspire like this whole AI stuff that we're doing was we had our own internal insurance agency. And we would, we tried virtual assistants. We tried the automated voice menus. And one of the things that we realized is like our insurance customers almost never call us when they're in a good mood. They call us when there's been an accident or they call us when they're at the dealership wanting to get a car or something. Yep. And what has historically, what have historically insurance sellers done? They have given the customer the very last thing that they want, which is somebody overseas reading a script or an automated voice menu. And yep. so to your point, like psychology plays such a big role because as you're thinking through like, how can I service people? You really have to think through, all right, what is it that they want? How can I get it to them? What type of experience can I get them? You also have to think about the moods of people. So like we, when I tell my team all the time, especially when there's a customer that's not being super friendly, like, look, you are not the highlight of their day. <laughs> like in no scenario is a customer talking to their insurance agent, the highlight of their day. Uh, the only way we're not at the bottom of their to-do list is if they happen to be going to the DMV that day. And when you approach customer interactions from that angle of like, Hey, I'm not getting the best version of this customer. It makes you as a customer service rep or salesperson approach it in a completely different way. One story that I tell a little bit is when I was at the captive company, um, my wife was my next door competitor with another captive company. Were you guys and, together at the time? What's that? Were you guys together at the time? Uh, we were dating. We met in 2016. We got married in 18 and I left that company in 19. So for a brief period, we were, we were married. And uh, so we had this customer that I was warned about her from day one. Don't look her in the eye. Don't engage with her. She's nasty. She's mean. Every time she comes in here, it's a fight. And sure enough, every single time she walked in the office, it was a fight over just the simplest stuff. And, you know, she came in and had a bad, you know, maybe was in a bad mood, had other things going on in her life and would get, you know, feisty with the CSR. They would push back and it just turns into this whole thing. Well, eventually she left the agency and guess where she went to be insured? Mm. My wife's office. Wow. So I tell my wife, like, don't engage with her. Don't do this. Don't do that. You know, and uh, my wife's office is like the best agency in the world. Like they're like they're just warm and fuzzy. And it's, it's a family type atmosphere when you go in there. 
And I kid you not, she's still a customer to stay there. And when she walks in the office, she hugs everybody in the office, including me. And that's not an exaggeration. And she was this close to being the nanny for my two-year-old. Oh, my God. But she wasn't able to do it. Like, we were going to pick her. And the only difference is my wife's office people were empathetic to her and understood that position of like, hey, this person has other things going on in their life. And I'm going to take that into account when I'm dealing with her. And it completely changed the relationship. Yeah. And, you know, one good example is, uh, so my director of operations here is a former manager at Chick-fil-A. And I'm like, when I hired him, like everything you knew at Chick-fil-A, I just want you to do it here. And, and one of the things Chick-fil-A does, I think they do it on their first day. There's a video they show um, of a customer at a counter and the customer's being ugly to the, to the cashier. And there's a little bubble over their head that's like, husband was diagnosed with cancer yesterday. Oh and there's another customer over here, daughter's failing school, et cetera. And so it just teaches people like, hey, you never know what's going on in people's life. And you have to consider that, you know, they're probably channeling some frustration to you, especially, you know, if somebody's going to be rude at Chick-fil-A. They're definitely going to be rude at the insurance office. For sure. And I, I think that's, that's a brilliant way to approach it. One of the things we try to instill here on our, on our sales team is I always try to tell them like, People might see the chit chat the first couple of minutes of a meeting as a waste of time. I always tell a team, I always tell a team is like, your goal should try to be to make the person on the other side of the call laugh within the first three minutes, because you never know to your point, what's going on in their mind. And if you can just give them that little bit of dopamine, people remember how you make them feel, not how you make that, what you say. And so if you can be that little dopamine boost for them, it automatically is just going to be, it's going to give some sort of rapport. You're going to gain some, some credibility and, we can talk about this all day, but one of the other questions I wanted to, I wanted to talk to you, I wanted to ask you about was you seem to be super entrepreneurial. You have a bunch of different things going on. Your dad was an entrepreneur. Did you always have that entrepreneurial bug in you from a young age, or is this something that just kind of happened as, as you got older? No, I think so. I think so. I've been asked that before and I've thought about it. Um, you know, I remember being a kid, I would, I was always selling stuff, whether it was, you know, sit, trying to sell a bike that I had so I could buy a new bike or, you know, doing the little, you know, chocolate bar sweepstakes sales that schools do. You know, I always sort of had that in me. You know, my dad was a business owner. My grandfather on both sides was a business owner. My mom owned several businesses throughout the years. Um, and I don't know, I just, I just always had it in me, I think. And I don't, and this is probably not a, not a positive trait. I don't do well when I'm told what to do. So I always knew in the back of my mind, I wanted to be doing something that I was, you know, everything sort of fell on my shoulders and I didn't really have to answer anybody. And, you know, even like starting portal, you can appreciate this. I had multiple investors reaching out because the podcast had happened that time and I turned down all of them because I didn't want there to be a 1% of 1% chance that somebody questioned why I took this meeting over that meeting. You know what I mean? Or, Hey, why were you in Chicago when you could have been at the office or that sort of thing? You know? So I don't know. I think I just always had it in me. And then, you know, fortunately when I was at the captive company for six and a half years, I had a manager who, sort of let me do my own thing. You know what I mean? And, and really that was one of the, one of the very few things he did right. And it just, it just sort of helped, you know, but, um, but yeah, I think it's, man, I think it's a, I think you're born with it. 
You know, I, I tell agents all the time because I have a lot of agents in my DMs reaching out, thinking about owning their agency, owning their own agency or starting their own agency. And I tell them, if your goal is to make money in a 10 year window, you're better off working for someone. If the reason you're wanting to start this is because you're pissed off at X, Y, Z, and you want to start this. If your goal is that you just, it's an ego thing and you have to have your brand on the deck page. Like all those are the wrong reasons to start agencies. But if you can't breathe without controlling everything and being in, in charge and, and doing your own thing, that's the reason you should start, you know? And for me, it's a, I can't breathe without, without, you know, being an entrepreneur and starting different things and um, that sort of thing. Yeah. You have so many different things going on and I feel like each one of them could probably be its own full-time job. You have the insurance guys <laughs> podcast. You guys put a bunch of content out for Then you have portal, which again, could also be its own full-time job. Then you have your socials on YouTube, on Instagram, on Twitter. Like you have just from what I know at the surface level, three different initiatives that seem like they can be their own full-time jobs. How do you manage so much stuff going on? Combination of, and there's about eight things you didn't mention, by the way, <laughs> uh, combination of hiring really good people and understanding delegation and scale. And that's something I think a lot of small business owners can't make that shift. And, processes and then also being willing to take partners in certain things like pretty much every company I have other than portal I have a partner in and so it's 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 not necessarily me doing everything but really the core of that is is hiring good people and understanding that hey yes such and such might do it 80 percent as well as me but I can do that much more because I'm not at the helm you know what I mean it's, yeah, it's just so, it's so important. It's, you know, like if you look like the average insurance agency, my, so my ENO agent for my agency said something really profound to me a couple months ago. She said that in this lady does more ENO for insurance agencies than anybody in the country. She's the best. And she looks, I mean, and she sees like the real, real, because she sees the books, she sees the ENO claims, she sees the type of business you're writing. She said, we call in the ENO world, we call $750,000 in revenue and a million dollars in revenue, no man's land. Because that's the point, because when you start a company in the beginning, new sales solves all your problems. Mm -hmm. You get to a certain point where new sales create problems. Yeah. And that's the point where most insurance agencies can't, that they need to take a step back and put processes in place. They can't be the top salesperson. They can't be the COO. They can't be the CMO. They can't be the assistant. And they don't want to do that. What's fascinating, if you look at the average independent agency in the country, they're a million dollars in revenue. Wow. That's where everybody gets stuck at. And I think it's the case with a lot of businesses. The number might be different, but it's just being willing to put processes in, have people in. You know, I don't, I don't, I have an assistant that checks my email, right? Email is a, a death trap yeah. for entrepreneurs. And so it's putting things in place like that, like, auditing and analyzing every single thing you're doing every day and thinking to yourself, am I better served doing this task or could I sub this out to somebody making $18 an hour and then create more of a spread for myself? Yeah. One of our, one of our board members, we, um, we took a little bit of a different approach. We went the venture back route and we raised some money and, and nothing wrong with that, by the way. Yeah. No, yeah. Nothing wrong with that. It, it, and to your point, a lot of it just depends like 
what type of what it is that you're trying to build like for me i wanted to build a big publicly traded company and so you had to in order to grow out a certain clip and all that you needed certain resources for but to your point like i sometimes do have to answer like yo why are you doing this initiative as opposed to that which can be a pain in the ass not even gonna lie but that's what happens when people give you a bunch of money yeah um, there's a trade-off yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, there's a trade-off for everything, you know, like maybe we weren't able to grow as fast because we didn't take the venture money. Exactly. You know what I mean? Um, but, it, but also it's, it's funny. So, uh, I was talking to an agency recently and they were complaining to me about how many phone calls they were getting mm. completely overwhelmed, you know, whatever. And I looked at our phone calls yeah. and we had more in that same time frame with the same amount of people. And everybody's jovial in my office. And I think it's, it's, it's not to quote Elon, but like, you know, Elon had something that he said about, you know, if you give somebody two hours to do the job, they're going to do it in two hours. If you give them 16 hours, they're going to do it in 16. I don't think we quite as humans know what we're capable of. And so I, I have a, a friend who started his agency the same time I did. And he sold it. And when he sold it, I saw some of the numbers and he started with 10 times the amount of money I did. Mm. And we were, our agencies were the exact same size. Insane. And so I kind of thought about it and I was like, and didn't do a bad job. I'm like, Hmm, if I would have started with 10 times the money, would I have wasted a lot of it? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, yeah. It, it, because I had such limited resources, we had to make the right decisions. Yeah. And, and to me, that gets tricky. Now where I think the VC stuff can help is, is they can give you a lot of direction on what to do and what not to do and that sort of thing. So that helps, but, but it's just interesting. I mean, there's, there's a million different ways to skin the cat. Yeah. It's and by the way, I I invest in tech companies, insurance companies and, uh, and all that. I'm invested in like six things right now. So like, I, I know the other side of it too. Yeah. No, by the way, we know the team over at one of your investments ascend uh, quite well. Those guys are those guys are crushing. I'm going to plug in here. If, uh, if any agencies need to look at premium financing alternatives, check out Ascend. They are crushing. I think they did half a billion last year, something like that. So really cool. But funny story. Uh, the last thing I'll say, and we can jump over onto like the AI side. We, uh, we had a similar situation to you where we got started and there was another company that got started around the same time. They were like perfect on paper, raised all this money and we blew them out of the water. But one of the things that happened was my brother and I in the past had another business called Lula Rides. And that was an app that would let college students rent cars from each other. And the unit economics on that business were pretty bad. And um, we struggled to raise capital like you wouldn't believe. Like we got rejected by the first 525 investors, but we were able to raise a few hundred thousand. But it was like, it was a drag. And then when that business dies during COVID, we pivot into what ultimately becomes Lula which was we were going to sell insurance management tools to big buyers of insurance. And at this point, this was three years ago, we were two 24 year old college dropouts, no business, I mean, like well, a dead business, grew up on a small farm, didn't have contacts or anything. And we said, you know what? In the middle of global pandemic, nobody's going to come save us. We might as well just start getting sales ourselves. And so we started getting more and more sales. And then fast forward to 2021, we admittedly were able to ride the zero interest rate environment and raise a bunch of money. And we ultimately raised about 60 million. And then all the copycats came out. 
and all the copycats that got that money super easily, they raised more than us. They got backed by Y Combinator and all the big groups. And when we hit like 40 or 50 in revenue, they were just crossing the 1 million mark. And it was the craziest thing because I think back to that all the time. I was like, if I had been given the money super easily at first, I wouldn't have figured out what customer acquisition costs looked like, payback cycles, gross margin profile, all of that. So oftentimes it's that slow start that gives you the massive advantage. Yeah. It's kind of like with me, man, uh, when I was at the captive company, my, my sales were really good and I would have often have agents, uh, reach out like, Hey, how are you doing this? Whatever. And, uh, I won't go into the specifics of it, but when I was at the first company, that first company that I was hired at, we were commission only straight out of the gate. You did not get paid unless you sold something and no residual, nothing. And I remember telling this guy that reached out to me, I was like, man, I'm gonna be honest with you. Every month I pretend I'm still in that situation. Mm. I draw on that experience so much because I, I basically trick my brain and pretend like if I don't sell something this month, I'm not going to get paid. I'm not going to eat, you know? And, and when you go through hard times like that, use that experience to draw from it. Yep. You know, it's, it sounds like that's exactly what you did. And it's, you know, we're going through a transition right now. We just acquired another agency. It was the same size as us. So we doubled in size overnight and there's been a lot of growing pains. And I told the team yesterday, I was like, guys, it's like when you haven't been to the gym in forever and you go do that first workout, you're going to be sore for the first like month. And every time you level up in the amount of weight you're, you're benching or whatever, you're going to be sore, but then you you're building that muscle to be stronger down the road. That's exactly what we're doing right now. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's such a good point. And people don't realize, people don't realize like growth is exciting, but growth can also be scary. And people say, Oh, the excuse, the curse where people be like, oh, that's such a pussy answer. Like it's not like, Growth is exciting, but it can kill you. So you have to do it in a responsible manner and make sure that there's certain things kind of switching gears. One of the other things I want to talk to you all about was obviously this whole AI thing. You've now been in the industry where you've been able to ride a couple of insurance markets, hard markets, soft markets, all this different stuff. You've also been around long enough now where you've been able to see technology trends. You've been able to see the crypto, the blockchain, now it's AI. I'm sure next year there's going to be a new technology trend that everybody's going to talk about. How do you as a business leader evaluate this is actually here to stay? It's worth my time implementing or it's just a BS hype train? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's funny that the, the AI revolution of 2023 makes the crypto revolution of 2024 look like child's play. Uh -huh. Have you thought about that? I mean, I think there's a lot of legitimacy to crypto and blockchain and NFT and all that, but the AI stuff was just so much better. You know what I mean? Um, my take, I have a couple points, a couple things to, to point out on it. Um, I'm, I'm pretty slow to adopt technology, but when we do, we go all in. But on the flip side of that is I test a lot of things. You know, I have three or four tools right now that are somewhat AI based that we're testing in our agency, but I'm not ready to roll it out just yet. You know what I mean? What, what we specifically do is I look for things that solve problems while also not creating another problem. So much tech in the insurance industry is very siloed. And yeah, we're going to solve this problem, but then it becomes whack-a-mole and creates another problem over here. You know, so do all of my tools talk to each other? Do they, do they all integrate? Do we have API capabilities and we can hire a dev to, 
to connect all this stuff together. So to sum that up in a more specific problem, I look for things that solve multiple entry. Mm -hmm. I think multiple entry is the biggest threat to the independent agency channel. And I think AI can solve a lot of that. Um, how I specifically look if something's legitimate or not, it's hard because it's so intuitive. Mm -hmm. I think it's just one of those things you have to, you have to get a bunch, it's like public speaking. You have to get a bunch of reps in before you yep. really can see the light at the end of the tunnel and, and feel like you're good. And it's, I think it's the same thing with technology. You got to do a bunch of demos. You got to try a bunch of stuff. And then eventually you'll start seeing things, you'll start spotting trends and that sort of thing. Um, you know, I don't think AI is going to replace anybody's job, but I think it, and this has been said a bunch of times, I think it can replace the job of somebody who doesn't use AI. Mm -hmm. And how can we use these tools to make us more efficient, not less efficient? I'll give you a perfect example. This agency we just bought, me and my ops guy were here on Monday and we were looking for, um, uh, we're looking, look, it's not important what we're looking for. We're looking for certain things in two different spreadsheets. We throw that into chat GPT's data analyzer and said, Hey, we don't look for these things. And in 10 seconds, we had the answer. Whereas a year ago, I would have paid somebody $20 an hour to take three hours to do that. Yeah. You know, um, I'm really bullish on AI that can transcribe text and, or excuse me, transcribe voice and then do things with it. So we're looking at stuff like, Hey, can I, plug something into my phone system where it transcribes the text in real time and then puts that text where I want to go, where I want it to go. What are we doing there? We're eliminating multiple points of multiple entry mm -hmm. because my people don't even have to type on a computer to get all the customer data. I'm working with our phone vendor. Um, we are, we're working on my, with my phone, with my VoIP provider to build a tool that basically transcribes and summarizes every single phone call and then does two things with that. One, it puts it in a running Slack channel that my managers all have access to with certain trigger words. You know, so if somebody says a curse word or somebody says the word cancel, we're notified of that. Uh, but then also takes that phone call, summarizes it into a note and drops it in the, the CRM on the customer account. So what have we just done there? I've eliminated, we're a big note taking agency. We take notes on everything. I've eliminated my account managers have to take notes. Yeah. And by the way, the notes I'm getting are better. Yeah. And, and not that they don't do a good job, but it's just the actual thing that happened is always going to be better. So I just, I look at stuff like that. You know, I, I did my first demo with you guys last week, came away super impressed. Kenneth, my ops guy did one an hour ago okay. and uh, he came in here and he's like, Holy crap, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. You know? So I don't, I think you just go through a bunch of reps, man. And you, you find out who the real people are and, and, and who's just trying to make a buck. Yeah, no, and I come by way, super glad it went well. We'll get you, we have something new releasing next week that, uh, we'll get you, we'll get it in your hands. And, um, yeah, I think you'll have a lot of fun with that. I don't know if they talked to Kenneth about it, but I'll, either way I'll get you guys, I'll get you, I'll put your name at the top of the list and make sure you guys get early access next week. But it's uh -huh. funny, it's funny though, how insurance, the insurance industry is so far behind of everybody else. Um, you know, we're not on the bleeding edge of the technology sword. We're down by the handle, right? And uh, so it's funny, you know, two, two, three years ago, VAs became super popular yeah. in the, the retail insurance world. And we, we use, we, we hire VAs, we always have, we always will. Um, really, we have six people in the Philippines, three of them have been with us longer than two years. They're some of our most valuable teammates. Um, 
but I had an agent call me last week. Okay, we're January 2024. And she says, I heard that some agents are using people in the Philippines to do data entry and, and call on billing and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's been a thing for two. And what's going to happen three years from now, that same person's going to call me and be like, have you heard people are using AI to help with it? You know what I mean? Yeah. So if you can just pay attention in insurance, if you can just pay attention to what is happening in other industries and figure out an application for insurance, you're going to be good. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I love what you said was you talked about how it's not going to necessarily be replacing jobs because what I realized is people fall into like three categories when it comes to this AI stuff within insurance. It's like the people that are super gun ho and excited. Then you have the second wave of people that they're right. I think this is a right more. I think this is the best approach. They're cautiously optimistic. They're excited about it, but they're they're evaluating their resources before jumping in 100 percent. And you have a third group of people that are just petrified of it because it's going to steal their jobs. And what I always tell those people on the third in the third group is like, this technology is not meant to replace your job. It's meant to make you more irreplaceable because mm -hmm. now, for instance, you're wasting so much time having to answer, hey, what's minimum insurance needed? Hey, can you add this to my COI? Hey, what's the cheapest insurance? Whatever. Now you can have a tool that can give your customer a desired experience of speaking with someone, but it doesn't take away from your high revenue or your high ROI opportunities. And at the same time, because you're no longer required to start doing these mundane, tedious tasks, it opens up your schedule so you can provide better service to your customers. And service today is more important than anything because you're in a hard market products are a bit commoditized. And so you have customers complaining nonstop. The, the, the agency that makes themselves available is going to ultimately be the one that wins the business. And mm -hmm. so I always tell people, don't look at this as something that's going to replace you. It's going to level you up and make you more irreplaceable. And what will put you in a position to be replaced is, is if you don't adopt it. Yeah. So it's, it's like we first started hiring VAs. I had a buddy who was super anti VA, very, you know, American jobs, who, by the way, now hires VAs, <laughs> called me. It was kind of giving me a hard time in a friendly way. And he said, dude, you're taking jobs from Americans, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, dude, and we were a startup, like super startup at the time. And I had three VAs and two people in the US. And I was like, man, if I didn't have these VAs, I would not have three more people in the office. I wouldn't have one more person in the office. But what's happened is my U.S.-based people are way happier because they're not having to handle the mundane stuff. Yeah. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's the same thing with AI. Like, do I think any AI platform is going to completely eliminate anyone's job at Portal? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Do I think it's going to make people more efficient and happier? Absolutely. But the flip side of that is if you're someone who's really not doing good work, going through the motions, you know, People, when they're at a job for a long time, can make it look like they're doing yeah. their job when they're not. If you're one of those people, yeah, I'd be very worried. Yeah. I'd be very, very worried. But talking about the three buckets, you know, I talk about this a lot when I speak to agents because agents hate lemonade yeah. and hate all the direct-to-consumer insure tech. I'm like, hey, just because you disagree with the way someone runs their company doesn't mean you shouldn't pay attention to it. Absolutely. It's the person who puts their fingers in their ears and goes, la, 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 la. Those are the ones that get hurt. Pay attention to what they're doing because like there's a lot that Lemonade's doing wrong, but there's a lot that they're doing right. Hey, you know, I don't think insurance could be bought 
the way we buy products on Amazon, but that doesn't mean I can't take some lessons from some of the things that Amazon does and put my own spin on them. Exactly. And I think that's, I think that's a great approach. And one of the other things too, that I think about quite a bit in terms of like, um, learning from others like you look at steve jobs steve jobs for the macintosh designs or for the iphone a lot of his original inspiration came from how middle class homes were being built in the 1970s like that middle that minimalism approach and so it's so important to learn from all these different industries when he was going into um when he was trying to build the first uh apple store he was walking into like targets and Kohl's and Sears and all that. And that's ultimately why he realized we need to have one entrance so that we can control the experience and the flow. And so I tell that to our team all the time as well. Like look for inspiration anywhere. You're, you shouldn't only be looking within our industry for, for what's next to come or what we should be doing next. Um, my my favorite so Steve, important. sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, good. My favorite Steve Jobs story, and I tell this like once a year to our team, I look for like corny analogies yeah. to then put like an insurance spin on them. My favorite Steve Jobs story. So I attended a, uh, a talk in Birmingham, Alabama, and Robert Scoble was one of the speakers. And he knew Steve Jobs personally. And he told a story about how Steve told him to always look at the bottom and the back of Apple products, and then look at the bottom and the back of other products. If you think about, look at the bottom of a Chromebook, and then look at the bottom. The bottom of the MacBook is beautiful. Yeah. And where that came from is his dad and him were building a fence. And part of the fence faced the neighbors, and they were doing like the shadow box type fence yeah. where it's a fence on each side. And then there was another part of it that faced the woods and some trees. And Steve told his dad, we don't have to do that here because it faces the trees. He's like, no, we have to do it there because how you do anything is how you do everything. And that sort of translated into that, that deal at Apple. And I tell my team that all the time, like how you do the stuff that nobody sees is going to come through and how you do the stuff everybody sees. Absolutely. That, that's, that's so on point. Well, Bradley, I want to be respectful of time. I know we went way past time this and, and we can continue. I can talk about this stuff for hours, but I want to, like I mentioned, I want to be respectful and I appreciate you taking the time, man. I think a lot of people are, are going to have a lot of fun listening to you, to your story and, and your perspective on things. So I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining the pod. Thanks, man. I enjoyed it. And I, uh, following you guys closely, wish you well and hope to use the product one day. Thank you, man. And if you're ever in Miami, let me know. We'll go grab some good Cuban food. I, I'm I'm not that far away, man. I'm a two hour flight away, so I'll uh, I'll definitely hit you up. Amazing, man. Have a good one. See ya.